0: Hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want
1: to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here.
0: Alright, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm um, the. So, are we just going to jump into this episode, or... Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're the intro guy. If, if you don't like, have one, I'm... This is going to be a lot of chapters we're covering, so it looks oh, like... All of a sudden, you're yeah. realizing how much work is before <laughs> us. You're, just, you're not like,
1: hey, yeah, Book of First Enoch, what do you think, like I three really episodes? I really thought
0: we would do it in one. I mean, originally, when we were talking about First Enoch and covering it... I was like, we could do that in one episode. We'll just cover everything. Look, we
1: could. Mm-hmm.
0: It would just be a different thing. Yeah. Because I've seen people who did it like on YouTube. I watched a guy who did it in like 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, he's better than me and you, that he could do that and stay so rigid on it. Because for me, I'm like,
1: oh, but this. You know, Ooh, you know but what this. it is? Yeah. It's him, and he can write out a script yeah, and just true. do it. Yeah. you have to deal with me. I'm a wild card. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Cool, we can get through this." I'm like, "Did you hear about this?" <laughs> well, there goes uh, there he goes for the next forty minutes. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that is. So we we got
0: uh, what is it, thirty seven to fifty something? Fifty four. Fifty four.
1: That's where I went, so if yeah, you want to so do 55, you're on your own. Nope, we're doing 37 it's to 54 to
0: <laughs> on 1st Enoch. That's the time I pick. Uh, yeah, so we got a lot. Uh, 37 through 71 is the uh, parables, is what it's called. So this is the parable section. There's three of them in there. Uh, the Book of Parables is, in terms of word count, nearly twice the length of the Book of Watchers. So yeah, a lot of words. Uh, The Book of Parables is composed, like I said, of three parables or visions received by Enoch that really only make up uh, the chapters of 37 through 59, and then from 59 to 71 is just Kind of more filler stuff. Oh, here it is. Uh, I had some it in my notes. Filler stuff. <laughs> Sixty to seventy-one uh, seems to be incorporated uh, an incorporation of another independent source that would uh, that was put into the Book of Parables. So uh, that's
1: the, how I got that. It seemed like it came in later.
0: Yeah, someone was like, "Hey, this fits here. Might as well add it to that." Which I guess when you're looking at it in the whole, when people are like credibility of the Bible or books, and it's like someone was like, "Hey, here's some other stuff. Let's just throw it in here. It fits." Does kind of seem to come with the
1: discredit part. I get that. But at the same time, I think we talked about it before that in the scriptures, you have that kind of editing Mm -hmm. process. Yes. Where later stuff, like as people are going through and scribes are copying it, like they're putting in things. So uh, maybe some super fundamentalist people just stop the podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but it's in there. Yeah.
0: So this is uh, that whole section. uh, I think it introduces some new material. Yeah, it does introduce new material. The heavenly visions focusing on the final judgment. Uh, this section is particularly relevant to the New Testament scholarship as it describes the Son of Man and uh, with final judgment in itself. And we'll get into that a little bit more. I just got a few more details and then we could jump into what I think the Son of Man. Let's, we'll start with the Son of Man. That's where I thought you were going. Yeah, yeah. Since that's what you just said. A little more introduction and then I'll get into the Son of Man part. Um, Scholars of the Of first enoch for the most part agree that it is chronologically the last section of the overall book that was written so out of the five books that we're gonna cover i believe is it five let's see you got
1: watchers got parables
0: the astronomy
1: yeah luminaries astronomy yeah uh
0: the epistle Mm -hmm. and then noah yeah so i think that's five. there's about five of them
1: wow Uh, we just did that off the top of our heads maybe we're uh we're still as good as that YouTube guy. No, no, but we're getting there. <laughs> we have five things. <laughs> we could remember five. Um, so yeah,
0: it's one of the last ones. Dating this parable is actually difficult for a few reasons. Uh, it is the only major section not discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Qumran. If it had been discovered there, it could be dated confidently before 68 AD. Uh, James Vanderkam, which for the next few episodes, I'll probably reference him a lot. Uh, dates it between the 1st century B.C. and the 1st century A.D. Um, unlike the other sections that have fragments in Aramaic and Greek, this is only exists in, hopefully I'm saying this right, Gizi? Uh, that's, that's Ethiopian. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ethiopian language. Uh, so it's only in there. Uh, the manuscripts, they have it in its very latest state is from the 15th century. So despite that, scholars believe that it is still was translated from Hebrew or Aramaic, but they just don't have anything on
1: it. You did pronounce that wrong, but it's not for the life of me can I remember uh, it's Ethiopian basically. yeah, okay, it is, I don't. Know. it's not geezy. It's easy when you're geezy. All right <laughs> So here's the thing where you edit the podcast. Yeah. so I can't cut that out. Nope. All, All right. right,
0: leave it in. Uh, no early Jewish or Christian writers apparently uh, quote from it. So, it, or if they did, it was done so rarely and indirect. So, like I said, there's three sections. Um, so there's First Enoch, one fifty-six five through eight. Uh, many scholars identify the writing here with uh, I think it's Parthians uh, who invaded the land in forty BC. Um, and then in 67, 8, the Wiccan king who indulges in the hot spas may refer to King Herod uh, the Great um, when he was uh, before his death in 4 BC. So that's kind of these events help with the idea of where they want to date it. But I think dating it has some difficulties.
1: Yeah, I think especially when you look at history and different things. And here I am speaking way outside of my expertise, if I even have one of those. This isn't it, but with different historical things that we discover, right, and things that we know about or don't know about, that I feel like there is, can be a danger to like, well, we don't know when this is written, but we know about these things. Mm -hmm. So, it lines up close enough. It probably has to do with that thing. It's like, think about how many things happen that are just lost to history. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, that's where he's saying it comes with problems, I think, um, to be so confident and like well this is later and we think it's later cuz it wasn't this and it seems it very well could be that but that's where um i guess that line between speculation between like having a lot more hard proof yeah you know i think that the dating on this doesn't really come with that hard proof no it doesn't it's and a that's lot that's the point of, that i'm yeah, trying to get to yeah, yeah it's that, a lot of
0: speculation yeah. uh it's it's looking at the material and trying to like decipher wording to like line it up with something um <laughs> for some reason and I guess this is that episode or you know, Enoch is the episode we could do it more with. But um I kind of thought when I was reading that and even studying it, um, Nostradamus mm-hmm. and like all of his writings, and then it's decades later, people are like, Oh, but if you look at this, this perfectly fits for this prediction and this is what right. he was saying. But it right. was like, Was he really though? Because you just kind of made it seem like that.
1: Um so yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so kinda of just going along with that with the dating. Where I personally, and again, this is just my very much personal things looking at it, not to be kicking up against people who are way more learned than me. But when I look at the dating of the rest of everything, you know, it's a much older book than leading up to 4 BC. Yeah. Seemingly. And again, that would be the thing of, oh, this is a later edition because it's a later edition. Mm-hmm. Um, but something within me just sounds like, no, it, it's all older. Yeah. I don't know what difference that makes, but <laughs> for some reason I'm just like, I want it all to be older. Yeah. Um it is interesting though, because if you get into like four B C or four A D, what were we saying? Somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right around Jesus' birth, which when we get into this topic that we're about to get into is the Son of Man, it is it's interesting because if it was that later date, it's possible that Jesus could have been born and someone started writing about the Son of Man. Yeah. Which yeah. is an interesting thing to even think about it that way. Um, Which, there's, there's a good segue right there. That was a Son good segue. Of let's Son do of man, let's do it. Uh, so really, we
0: get into this more chapter 38. Uh, uh, When we finish this, we'll backtrack into 37 a little bit, but uh, 38 begins uh, the first parable that ends in 44, and this section introduces the main characters that the rest of the book of parable kind of follows in, the righteous, which are humans, uh, the wicked humans, the Lord of spirits, God go backwards and talk about that a little bit more uh the righteous one the messiah and the righteous one is uh this phrase is isn't taken as pointing to god himself but another figure Uh, the title will vary throughout the parable from righteous one 16 times anointed one chosen one to son of man so the son of man is a key figure in this parable uh george nicholsberg describes the son of man as a transcendent heavenly figure who represents the most remarkable of all Jewish synthesis of speculation about the agents of divine activity. This Son of Man combines four tracks of the Old Testament thought concerning the agents of God's activity on Earth. So we have the Son of Man from Daniel, Mm -hmm. um, the Chosen One or the Suffering Servant from Isaiah. Uh, This is the defender of the righteous against their enemies uh, and the wicked. Uh, and a lot of this will sound familiar as it's derived from the servant song of Isaiah 40-55. through 55. Um, First Enoch 49-4 is almost a direct quote of Isaiah 42-1. Uh, it says, Here is my servant whom I, am, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nation. So it's almost like it's a direct quote from Isaiah. And then number 3, the Messiah of the Davidic tradition. And then number four their personification of wisdom from proverbs and then ben Sirach. so uh that's just in there in the old testament just a few comparisons to the old testament isaiah 6 the prophet sees the lord enthroned and served by the seraphim one of the seraphim burns isaiah's lips with hot coal to purify them so that he can proclaim god's message of repentance to the people ezekiel 1 contains imagery similar to daniel 7 and revelation 4 with creatures that look like he- earthly animals. Uh, Ezekiel one twenty six through 26-28 contains an image of God enthroned. In Ezekiel 2, 3, God sends Ezekiel to proclaim his word to rebellious uh, people. So again, these are just all images of, I guess, son of man that are in the Old Testament.
1: It's so hard when you're reading something like that, or you giving all kinds of those, because I'm I'm listening to them all, I'm like, yeah, 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 that's there. And just thinking of that, but then in the back of my mind, when you said Ben Sirach, I still can't, when we're talking about Ben Siracha, <laughs> some stupid stuff just doesn't yeah. leave my mind. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny is when I said it, I thought it too. Yeah. yeah. I think it's kind of more Ben Sirach. Yeah. Kind of like the but it's CH just H on the end of my Yeah. yeah. Murdach. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking like Siri over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that was a pretty like almost exhaustive look of like some of the Son of Man stuff, which is good. Yeah. Um, Because it's important when we're in the New Testament, if you haven't read or studied the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. Jesus referencing himself as the Son of Man seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like even for maybe a lot of uh, Christians who haven't spent time in the Old Testament, everything that you were just talking about, the Son of Man, is just going to give good insight to like, oh, so Jesus making that reference has all of those touch points. Right. But then when we get into Enoch, it's pulling in like, oh, that was also a touch point within the culture, kind of second temple period, like looking at the Son of Man. And a lot of the material in the second temple was looking, you know, into the scriptures and trying to make sense of it, and, you know, in new ways. And so when they're looking at the Son of Man, Enoch's take on it is, it's pretty interesting. And because these are, in these parables, these visions, right, these heavenly visions, I think that, Most of what we get is kind of like Revelation-type language, right? Yeah. Um, But I think that there is some controversy as far as Enoch and the Son of Man. There is,
0: yeah. I I do want to touch real quick that it's the Gospel of John. It appears 13 times that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, uh, especially with the theme of the crucifixion, and uh, like you said, revelation and eschatological authority. So it does seem that John is using the same... uh, uh, some of the man figure from son of man figure from Daniel seven, uh, so John isn't using uh, the title to emphasize Jesus' humanity, but more like his heavenly origin and divine authority.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think just because we're talking about this type of imagery, but just to pull from uh, First Enoch itself, I think this is the first time that we get the reference of son of man versus righteous one or anything mm-hmm. like that. Is it in chapter forty-six? And this will sound familiar to Revelation readers, right? So 46 in the beginning says, And there I saw one who had a head of days, and his head was white like wool, and with him, right? So there we have like the Ancient of Days, like would be said, and this is where you drew in the distinction earlier, that this righteous one is different than God on the throne. Mm -hmm. So you have um, this ancient one, the head of days, his head was white like wool, and with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of a man. And his face was full of graciousness, like one of the holy angels. And I asked the angel who went with me and showed me all the hidden things concerning that son of man, who he was and whence he was, and why he went with the head of days. And then it goes on from there, right? So just getting that some of that imagery there of what we do get in the Bible. So it's interesting that this written, even if it was written as late as 4 BC, you have John writing Revelation, and that's almost... Was that Revelation four or five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, four, two. Well, in f- one you get the one sitting on the throne, right? So yeah, some of that stuff there. Yeah. So again, these the ways of imaging and thinking about these things were definitely there.
0: Yeah. Uh, John Collins, uh, a scholar, said that the early Christians very well could have readily associated the risen Christ with the Enoch, Son of Man. Andrade Orval. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, he adds also the description of the chosen one. And the parables paints a picture of a highly elevated celestial being. This being apparently has his own throne in the celestial realm. Since the passage, since of the passages found in First Enoch forty five three through four, uh, depict the chosen one as the one who has been installed on the throne of glory. And I really did like uh, that last bit too, where it was like John is isn't when he calls himself the son of man. It's not emphasizing Jesus's humanity. Uh, but his heavenly origin and divine figure, that this is a, you know, putting these kind of visions together, Mm -hmm. that it's more than just like a son of man, which does kind of um, go back to what you were saying earlier, that kind of controversy, because in some of First Enoch, Enoch also refers to himself as a son of man, and that's where a lot of people will pull this and be like, it's straight blasphemy, don't even read it, because Enoch is then calling himself the divine one, the righteous one, and everything like that, which is kind of weird because in Ezekiel, Ezekiel the term "son of man" simply is a reference from himself as well. So it, he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I think, there's drawn differences with like Daniel, son of man, and Ezekiel, son of man, um, and even when they do point the picture of like a bigger son of man in the Bible, like I, if I remember right, the S is capitalized. Yeah. And the I other think ones, we do that. yeah, we do that, but it's to show that there's a difference in the terminology. So uh, I think a lot of the controversy for the son of man term, especially in First Enoch, uh, gets kind of pulled as like, well, Enoch used it for himself, so obviously this isn't something we should use.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into that not in this episode, but next episode because I think it's um at the end of these parables mm-hmm. at chapter what seventy one. Yeah, in the end of there, and episode. so it gets into there and looking at. Enoch kind of being that righteous one and then the language that gets used there as far as son of man and how that is um, kind of putting him into that place. It's hard when I look at some of that too, because I think about John the Baptist and Elijah, mm-hmm. right? Elijah's kind of come back and she's like, well, if you can believe it, this guy is Elijah, right? If you, yeah. if you have eyes to see that, like this is what this is. So I almost wonder if some of the things that getting here where people are understanding or thinking like, oh no, this is Enoch, but just where you have this, Thought setting up like Elijah, he was a man, man of God, who kind of how you're saying the Son of Man is that title and it's bringing in those ideas. So Mm -hmm. people know who Elijah is, but when you have John, it's not like reincarnation. Right. Right. It's not like, oh no, this is Elijah's spirit from the grave coming into this man, and here's Elijah walking. It's like, no, that's when you're saying that it's going to be him, here's how you should understand that. And when you do have Enoch being a righteous guy, he didn't die. Like as far as any human, like he's the only one that we have is just like, no, he walked with God every day. So when you're seeing this guy who's a type of righteous man to look at that kind of archetype type idea, just like, no, he is a righteous one. Then the righteous one who's coming, the son of man who's coming, you'd think would be the most similar to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not trying to lessen Jesus. I'm just trying to link thoughts a little bit there. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying
0: there. Yeah. Um, especially because I think one of the misunderstandings that comes from like the New Testament or in part is this like, and you touched on this earlier, is that we believe when they start referencing Jesus as the son of man in the New Testament, it's like they're starting from scratch with a new concept or mm-hmm. a new idea. Like here are new facts are a new religion has just started when they're actually going backwards and pulling from the, from the Old Testament and really then placing that in the New Testament. So th- it's not that the New Testament writings are, pre- are presenting something new. Uh, uh, this is something that was already in its, I guess I won't say core values, but just in the backbone of the belief that the theme of the New Testament is this messianic divine son of man will judge faithfully.
1: And I think there, to pull in kind of that identity and looking at it, you can read through... The New Testament, not understanding the background of the Son of Man. And you can then read through the New Testament without that background of the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. And you can still see Jesus and you can see who he is and the teachings. And when you get to the, those parts, you'll just fill in the blank. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not the most essential to becoming a Christian, to following Jesus, or, right? To any of those things. But I think that when you do dig into it and you get this, um, understanding and when you're linking into the messiah and all of these things it becomes richer and it fills in those parts of the story to where there's like more to what god has been doing through human history you know these mm-hmm. are prophecies that are coming through and like what are these prophecies based off of and um what does that mean and especially as we get into these parables not saying that these parables and these visions are what as christians we base things off of but as you said there's a lot about uh, the righteous and the unrighteous. When we get into these parables, that's a huge thing about the judgment. Yeah, and getting that in there. And when we're looking at like understanding more of like who the Messiah is, what judgment is, to be counted as one of the righteous ones because of who the Son of Man is and what that looks like here on earth and beyond, is like those kinds of uh, things do shape your life. Yeah, like it's not essential to come to a basic understanding, but as you learn more of those things, it's just like oh, I'm part of a bigger thing, and I know more of my role, like the awareness does something.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. I, I've got one more thing, and then we, uh, you could do the over, yeah, overview. That's a, that's a quick overview. Yeah, and then, yeah, quick... and then we'll, we could chop into a little bit of the stuff. But Father Stephen D. Young said, uh, the passages of the Son of Man and the parables have widely held to have influenced the New Testament writing. And other New Testament titles, such as the Righteous One and the Elect One, have been said to have appeared first as messianic designation, but this view has been increasingly questioned, especially since the discovery of the Qumran fragments. For although all the other sections of First Enoch are well represented in these fragments, uh, chapters 37 to 71 are not represented at all, uh, nor are they represented in the Greek or Latin fragments. It is probable, therefore, that they are later Christian insertions into the book, and that, It was the New Testament which influenced them rather than vice versa. So even as we're talking about all of this, you know, Stephen DeYoung, someone who's uh, put a lot of time into First Enoch, way more than we, is saying there's a good chance that this section was influenced by New Testament writing. So it's picking up on the same thing and kind of going that
1: way. I shake my head at you, sir. Why? You let me sound like a fool earlier, <laughs> saying this needs to be older. Stephen DeYoung, of course he's right. Of course he's right. Uh, but Just he could be wrong. I uh, redact my, <laughs> my prior <laughs> statements.
0: Uh, I forgot I had that quote. That's why. Yeah. I'm sorry. Th- thanks for that.
1: Um, Stephen DeYoung, we, we, think we referenced him quite a bit. Yeah. He's one of the hosts over there on The Lord of Spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually the intro for for their podcast... Is for Sina. It's found in the, in one of these parables. Yeah. There. So that's cool. We'll maybe highlight that when we get there. So yeah, when we're looking at this section, as you said, it's three parables. Um, It's really helpful in this section because the parables are chopped up and they basically tell you like, here's the first parable. Yeah, yeah, here's yeah. the second parable. Here's Here's the third parable, which is nice because when you get in all this vision stuff and it does span, each parable spans several chapters, you can kind of get lost in like, wait, whoa, you're kind of talking mm-hmm. about somewhat different stuff. So it's good to be able to, to bookend those, which uh, I think the second and third also has closings out. I'm like, And that was the second parable. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, we're starting the second. And it tells you, that was the second. And it goes, here's the third, and that was the third. So it's nice structurally to be able to have that. Um, when we're looking at the two parables that we're going to be looking at today, though, they follow a similar format. Um, in the terms of, it's typically, it comes in the form of a vision. Mm-hmm. And then you have the seer who is B. Enoch asking a question. And then there being an angelic interpretation of the vision, which is familiar to us through Old Testament prophets and seers having that, right? To where they get shown something, so they see it, and then they go, what was that? And then an angel goes, let me tell you what you just saw, right? So it follows that format in these... But to just highlight the two that we're getting into with parable one and parable two, they have this thing of each one starts with a vision of the throne room. And then after that, there's a journey. So parable one, you have the vision of the throne room followed by a journey through the cosmos. And then parable two, you have a vision of the throne room followed by journeys to the place of punishment. And what's also cool is if you take what we're going to be looking at here, it does parallel some of what we got in the Book of the Watchers. Yeah. So when you're looking at that vision of the throne room in parable one, which is basically chapters 39 and the beginning of 40, that's chapters 14 through 16 that we already went over. And then as we kind of very briefly went over some of those journeys through mm-hmm. the cosmos when we were going through the, the Book of the Watchers uh, for parable one, that's chapters 41 through 44. And then from what we covered earlier, that'd be chapter 17 through 18.5. Verse five. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say point. Um and the second parable is the same thing. Yeah, that vision of the throne room, which for us is gonna be chapters forty-six through forty-nine, and that covers that same part as far as the, the vision, and then journey to the place of punishment. That's basically uh chapters fifty-two through fifty-six, and that would be paralleling chapters eighteen and then also twenty-one from what we covered earlier. So I said a bunch of numbers right now mm-hmm. if you're listening is great you have a pause button so if you're following along and you read and then just go to those numbers and go back and reread the first yeah. thing and see the parallels that are getting drawn there but and i think that as you said earlier that one of the things that it's really covering is the judgment mm-hmm. and looking at the judgment it's really looking at the group between the two people you have the righteous ones and the unrighteous and what happens there i think also looking at judgment there is a spot there's a couple spots, actually, to where we get to this view of the eschatological judgment, like the end times judgment, mm-hmm. the final judgment. But then it brings it back to Enoch's time and Noah's time and being like, so the flood. Yes. Right? Yeah. So really seeing that flood. And it was a judgment from God, right? So you, you do it does give you that placement of, oh, no, Enoch was way back in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that he's talking about through this is kind of pertinent to then. Yeah, I, I've uh,
0: been listening to the Bible Project guys as they kind of go through Deuteronomy, and they're talking about like the three speeches. Um, but they talk about how like the way Moses addresses it to the new generation of Israelites, he makes it seem like they were the generation mm-hmm. that messed up and why they wandered the wilderness. Uh, but they weren't, and it's uh, the way they they summarized it was that it's a way to do it so that every generation can see themselves as. The wandering Israelites. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and almost in a sense that you you kind of have the same thing that's happening with Enoch. And, and for me, what I like about Enoch is it does touch a theme that is written throughout the Bible. There's two ways. There's righteous and there's wickedness. And uh, a life of righteousness leads to this, and a life of wickedness leads to this. So it's almost like um, putting ourselves in the spot of like, okay, are you the flood people? Right were you part of the wicked or were you part of the righteous and how you live your life today? Um, and it, it does tie that in as you we even go through these parables of like, there's two ways, righteous and wicked. And it's like a theme throughout the Bible that it has, that every generation has to answer and every generation has to make a decision. What, what part am I in, in this whole thing? Um, so I, I really like that. It does do that. It kind of gives us a, a back and forth into, uh, It's talking to them. It actually made me think of wrestling because I just came back from WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their big intro to their thing is then, now, and forever. And then it ends with like together, but that's like they're basically saying like wrestling then, now, and then it's going to be forever. Um, Kind of like it's the same thing in that situation that what we see is like for then, but it also could apply to now, and it's going to apply to the next generation after us. Um, Sorry, that was a weird tangent. It it was a little bit,
1: but but before, I think that we've talked about it and we're just kind of that thing of, um, who it applies to. Mm -hmm. I think that we've talked about revelation, having some of that Mm -hmm. towards just when you look at revelation, are you seeing where you're currently at in there, but then there is the thing of, there is that day of the Lord to come in. So Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing in the Bible that you have that cyclical type, but then it also is representative of a real thing. Yeah, it's like it's representative of a real time, of
0: uh, people that things happen to. Uh, it's representative of a time of whoever's reading it. And then it's representative of a time and a date that later will happen. And, and it's, it's really fascinating. It's almost like people always say it, like this is our generation for this, especially when they're doing like end times prophecy stuff. Mm-hmm. Like this is all happening in our time. And there are some things that are like, yeah, that's actually happening in our time. That's kind of crazy. But throughout generations, people have always thought the day of Noah was their time um, because you could always find it that the pattern of human rebellion right. that leads to corruption, that leads to uh, Babylonian-like empires uh, is always a cycle that we will run to until the final judgment comes and wipes it away.
1: Let's get into these chapters. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I really think I could go on a weird tangent with all that.
2: uh Hey, everybody out there in the world. The latest update of the Christian Translator app has tons of new features. But one of them would definitely help with those hidden phrases or terms that you may not be familiar with. This specific new feature is understanding the Apocrypha option. To activate this feature, you go into your settings, you click on languages, and then select Apocrypha to unleash all the hidden terms and phrases. Now, when you hear your friend say something like, the Lord of Spirits, the Christian Translator app will simply say, that's God or if they use the term watchers, the Christian translator app would translate that for you to angels. With just one easy switch to the New Testament Apocrypha, you'll know that the term Didache means teaching and the Shepherd of Hermas wasn't one of the names of the shepherds who saw Jesus when he was born. It's also a fantastic tool when discussing the animal apocalypse. Yes, that's a real thing. You won't have to worry about sounding foolish anymore around your extra scholarly friends with the understanding the Apocrypha feature, So update the Christian Translator app today and never be confused by what your Christian friends are saying again. The Christian Translator app helps you understand the language of the saints. I got some stuff for chapter
0: 37. All right. Uh, Just that the vision of wisdom. Uh, Wisdom refers to the obedience of the Torah or to God. The vision of wisdom is an instruction because... It details the fate of the disobedient and the righteous Um, and then there's that thing to those who dwell on the earth it's written to humans are the recipients of enoch's divine revelation and then the lord of spirits uh this title isn't used in uh the other sections of enoch of First, Enoch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the stuff outside of the parables. Um, the general idea is that God is, sur- is surrounded by and sovereign over spiritual beings in the spiritual world. And the title occurs 102 times in the parables, which is yeah, a lot. Yeah. I knew I read it a lot, but when I actually did the study and I was like 102, I was like, that's a lot for that many chapters to just kind of repetitively abuse it. Well,
1: it was like 30. 30- I think we're
0: covering 34 chapters mm-hmm. just about. Sounds like three times a chapter. Yeah. And the only times it's not mentioned is 42, 44, 56, and 64. So there are a few chapters where it's not. And I really think 42 and 44 are those like one-line chapters. Yeah. Um, but it also refers to God's statue uh, as being Lord over the human spirit, so human beings. Uh, oh, let me read this. Hebrews 12:9 says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it how much more should we submit to the father of the spirits and and live so hebrews is using the same thing numbers does the same thing and they fell on their faces and said oh god the god of spirits of the spirits of all flesh shall one man sin and you be angry with the congregation so God of spirits. Uh, it's referenced in Psalms and Kings, but instead it's the Lord of hosts. And then 2 Maccabees uh, says, now when he was already there in the treasury with the bodyguards, the Lord of spirits and of all power made an amazing appearance uh, with the results that all those who had dared to go in with him were astounded, and the power of God changed their boldness into feebleness and cowardness." So just lots of lords of spirit references throughout new
1: testament and maccabees which is second temple yeah that was good um so that was kind of the intro right mm-hmm. you're just like i'm gonna have this and then he moves in 38 and onward as you're having it so 38 says the first parable when the congregation of the righteous shall appear and the sinner shall be judged for their sins and shall be driven from the face of the earth so kind of telling you here's what this parable is going to mm-hmm. be about right looking at that um but then it's interesting there in verse two it says and When the righteous one shall appear before the eyes of the righteous, whose elect works hang upon the Lord of Spirits. There's that Lord of Spirits again, right? Yeah. Um, But what you have here as compared to in the Book of the Watchers, in the Book of Watchers, you have God is the one that's showing up. Mm -hmm. And then here in these parables, you have it being uh, the righteous one or the son of man. They're being talked about in very similar ways. if, If you go back to that earlier books and here you see, again, it's almost like that Trinity stuff that happens. To where you're talking about God, but then you're talking about the Son, Mm -hmm. and you're saying the same things about both, or who is it that's sitting on the throne, and who's taking action here? So where you have earlier God being representative and spoken about in this way, here you have the righteous one being spoken about in the same way and introduced in the same way and performing some of the same things. So just to draw out there that even as we talked about the Son of Man, the way that he's even being introduced is reminiscent of how we've already talked about God just a few mm-hmm. chapters previous. Yeah, the rest of, like you're saying, of chapter 38, there's
0: judgment of the kings and the mighty who are on earth and those who rejected the Lord of Spirit. Um, and, and one thing I just want to pull out from that is that it's important part is to know that that they were now unable to repent. Um, mm-hmm. That part in there, it's uh, rather that none of them will. And to me, this was kind of a little bit eye-opening when it came to, like, the righteous and the unrighteous. And it's like, man, if, if someone went to, like, hell, or Hades, Sheol, whatever we want to call that, that why couldn't they have a chance to repent in there? And, and I think this is a question that people ask all the time, like the damnation, is it forever? And what really helped with me reading this in, in First Enoch was the idea that like, uh, the way he kind of phrases it, it was that they didn't want to. Even though they were being punished for what they had done, they had lived a life that was so separated, uh, the wicked, that they were at just a point that like, no, we're still in our arrogance, not going to repent.
1: I've heard it said by pastors in years gone by, um, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Mm. Yeah, it's not God locking it from the mm-hmm. outside. It's the other way around, which as I've thought about those, I'm just like, eh, how much do I agree with that? But you can see it going back to Revelation, right? When you're looking at all of those things happening in Revelation, in those end times, and it's saying that even then the people didn't repent. Yeah. Right? Even in all those crazy times, people still not turn into God. So, yeah, you can see something about just the rebellion that's there. But when you're looking about the b- rebellion as well, I wanted to highlight you talked about the kings and the mighty shall perish. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of language that happens throughout these parables that are kind of really specific rather than broad to, like, all humanity. You do get the specific thing about, like, oh, the kings and the mighty being judged or those later on that are using the medals for different things, right? Like, they're being judged. Mm-hmm. Um there's, I think, one or two spots where it does broaden it out, but when you're looking at the specificity of, like, oh, the righteous ones, and then kind of who's being highlighted as those that oppose, it's, like, the oppressors and um the wicked in those ways, which is interesting for me when I read through that kind of thing, is that, okay, but where's, like, your your average person? Yeah. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I totally get it. The kings and the rich that have just been, like, screwing up everybody's life and waging war and all this stuff. Yeah. They should be judged for all of that. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like, should I read into these sections other people who are sinners? Do you get what I mean? Yeah. I think what's the the, the interesting
0: part that I've always found is that um, when you do look at kings and rulers and mighty, it's usually boiled down to like oppression, mm-hmm. like just the way they treated people below them.
1: Yeah. It's oppression, war, mm-hmm. and um, basically the greed.
0: Yeah. Uh, Which is really, just to me, it's like you would think, oh, there'd have to be worse things. But it's like, no, they just treated people horribly. Uh, And it just reminds me of what Jesus was saying. Like, uh, you know, if if you want the spot at the table, the head of the seat at the table, then uh, take the low seat. Like, whoever follows me will be a servant. Right. uh, Type idea that, you know, the the, the lowliness in Christian authority is the lowly figure, not the... You're not going to be
1: like... The rulers of the world who lorded over people, right? Yes, yeah. that's what I was trying to servants. think of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. so uh, 39, we got uh, a whirlwind carries him off of the earth. Uh, and this whirlwind, again, reminding us of Elijah, who was carried off in the whirlwind. Um, and then there's also some uh, little imagery of uh, in Job, where it said the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord spoke, again, it says it in verse uh, chapter 40, the Lord uh, God spoke to Job out of a storm. Um, Under the Wings of the Lord of Spirit, uh, that portion in chapter 39, uh, Wings is drawn from the Old Testament Psalms, and they're they're a protective theme. Uh, But it is odd, since usually the Chosen One or Jesus wouldn't need protection. So I think it it does in that section. It's like uh, the Chosen One is under the the wings of the Lord of Spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is a little odd. Scholars have wondered if the imagery has more to do with the idea of God's presence. Uh, So in here that under the wings is more of God's presence um, than kind of the protection idea that we would see in the Psalms.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Kind of the thing that I think of beyond the Psalms, too, is when it talks about way back in Genesis, right, of the spirit brooding over. Mm -hmm. And that image there is like a, I think it's like a hen with their wings out, kind of covering. But just that covering aspect that, you know, all the things are covered by. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I'm, you're saying the protection, but even the presence of just like, no, all of this is under my... Yeah, uh, I see it too. I mean,
0: I'm glad you brought up chickens because since I have them, um, that when we have a hawk in the backyard... Um, y- you bust out your wings and get the chickens yeah, I under. bust out my wings and they all come <laughs> fluttering. Uh, but when they see my presence, or even now that we have bear, when they see bear's presence, there's almost a sense of security for them, that like they could be afraid of something, or even if a cat's roaming... Uh, they could be uh, nervous about it, but once I step out, there's like, oh, I feel better about it. So I, I, I could see the that maybe it's a drawing of both the protection mm-hmm. and presence, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that in this and other chapters, I just like reading it for the thing of, I really like heavenly imagery. Mm-hmm. And that where you just get like, okay, let's get off of this earth, off of this plane, off of this where everything's screwed up by sin and everything right and get into like God's presence the way that things are so clear cut Mm -hmm. to where like, yeah, he's the righteous one. He's the Lord of spirits. Here's all these angels who are um, interceding, right, who are praying, who are resting there and just it's like, oh, man. There's a reason why it's called heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And why people want to be in heaven. So I just highly recommend reading that. That's not anything that I want to read through. But I just really like heavenly imagery when Mm -hmm. you get around God's throne because it just, it really just puts you in a different place. Yeah. That's kind of all that I have on that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of it
1: too. Uh, Chapter 40,
0: I think it has uh, on the four sides of the throne, Enoch sees the archangels performing their tasks. So Michael's name means who is like God, baby name. I think again. Yeah. Uh, we, I wish we had a little jingle. Yeah, right? Uh, unceasingly blesses the Lord of Spirits. Uh, he is merciful and long-suffering, kind of tying it into uh, Exodus 34.6. Raphael, the healer of uh, God, this is what his name means, God's healer or God heals. He blesses the chosen one and the chosen ones. Um, and he is set over all diseases and uh, the wounds of the children of men. Gabriel, whose name is God is my warrior, intercedes for those uh on earth and makes supplication for them. Um, he is uh over all the powers, and then he's also the destroyer of giants. And again, uh seeing even where Gabriel um pops in in the old in the New Testament and even in the old, um, you could see this. Like he's interceding, he's uh going back and forth and communicating with them, the message from God. Uh, and then Faniel. Uh, hopefully I'm saying that one right, he fights back the devil who's trying to come and accuse those who dwell on the earth. And I thought this was interesting because his name is a uh, play on uh, Peniel. And this is from Genesis 32, 30, where Jacob wrestled uh, with the man who's actually an angel. Um, The biblical place for the name uh, means the face of God and then uh, where Peniel means to turn. So it's literally or metaphorically Uh, in repentance or turn to God.
1: Yeah, so that goes with the name of what you were looking at there. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because you read off like, well, here's the names and what they were doing. But just before that, um, he's hearing the voices of them. Mm -hmm. And when you just look at what they're saying versus who they are, so the first voice, which would have been Michael, um, blesses the Lord of Spirits forever and ever. The second voice, I heard blessing the elect one and the elect ones who hang upon the Lord of Spirits. So that would have been Raphael, uh, the third voice, I heard pray and intercede for those who dwell on the earth and supplicate in the name of the Lord of Spirits. That's Gabriel. And then the fourth voice, fending off the Satans and forbidding them to come before the Lord of Spirits to accuse them who dwell on earth, which would have been Fenuel. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that and those, Fenuel is the one that's over repentance and hope for those inherit, but he's also fighting off the Satans, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just cool when you link up the two and you're like, who's talking? Who's saying that? And you're like, well, this is this guy and this is what he does. It's kind of like, oh, cool. You got the uh, Ninja Turtles of Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Sorry, just, you got Raphael yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and the devils
0: uh, in there it simply means adversary, yeah. uh, but it shouldn't be confused with the figure in Job. Um, but yeah, th- this is kind of what their role is. This is what their task is. Uh, one commentator adds, in this passage, the Satans are a special class of angels, uh, no doubt Cusers. subject to Satan. So... Um, Again, just a lot of this kind of what we're picking up about angels and demons and the roles and what they're doing and uh, what the angels are doing and what you know, the, the demons are trying to do and kind of come in there and shake the righteous ones. And you have one who's like fighting them all back and saying, nope, these are the, the chosen ones.
1: I know we keep touching on it, but especially since we're in these sections and it's a heavenly thing, we're talking about Lord of Spirits, right? And we're talking about these angels and Satan's, the spiritual world, even reading through this, mm-hmm. is just becoming more and more expanse to me, mm-hmm. right? So there's these Satans that are trying to come into the presence, and then you have Fanuel that's like fending them off, but that's different than even, because this is the parable looking at judgment, and later on we're going to be looking at Azazel and all of them and the judgment that's coming upon them, and it's like, that's different, mm-hmm. right? So when we're talking about Satan, how you said like that's not being highlighted as like Satan, big S Satan, right? So just like there is such a variety going on within uh, the spiritual creatures, which even later on too, it talks about Cherubim, Seraphim. And did you catch the other one? It's like the oponym, Mm-hmm. The O-P-H-O-N-I-M. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, the roster is expanding. Yeah. <laughs> As you read, it's almost like you're playing a video game. It's like, oh man, I just unlocked a new yeah. character. Like,
0: what is this? It, it almost makes me think, and then we'll wrap up the, this episode. Um, It almost makes me think of like, anyone who comes under, like, who's accusatory mm-hmm. is a Satan. Yes, yes. And, and so it's like, when you're accusing something or you're an adversary, you become a Satan in a sense. So, like, these demonic beings, although maybe their name is not Satan, uh, they take on that characteristics. And then I thought about when Jesus told yeah. Peter, get behind me, Satan. Um, and a lot of people are like, whoa, what's this? It's because of the accusatory, the the accusation of, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. And he's like, no, this is the mission you're trying to, divert me from the task, so you've almost become a Satan in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, without this, Enoch, I I probably wouldn't have even made that connection in my head. It would just kind of stuck to the term of like, oh, he called him big Satan, but it was more of like, your your actions are very Satanist, Yeah, I guess.
1: there's some of that, because you brought up Job first, which you got in Job, it's Hasatan, the Mm -hmm. Satan, like the accuser, Mm -hmm. and I don't know why Revelation is coming up so much. But like the accuser of the brethren that that mm-hmm. pops up there and different things, so yeah, that accuser definitely big. There's a
0: idea and a notion, and um, a, a, a I think I heard this from Father Stephen DeYoung that there's uh the dragon or the serpent that's in in uh the garden is a Satan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Job, the Hassan, like you said, the accuser was another one, that, but actually that was in God's rankings and did what he wanted. Um, right, and then there's uh, the dragon at the end, and, and I think it was Father Stephen DeYoung puts it, uh, that when Jesus said, I've said, I saw Satan fall um, in the New Testament Gospels, that it could have been the Hassan, so that the idea that there might be multiple versions or multiple Satans, in a sense, it's a whole crazy theory and notion, and, and honestly, I think you'd have to go listen to the episode where he explained it, because he'll do a better job.
1: So this is one of those things, again, we're talking about first Enoch. So if you made it this far and you're listening first Enoch, like we're exploring concepts concepts that are outside of direct biblical. Mm -hmm. But going back to uh, things that are within the Bible, because even some of the things that you just brought up, like, no, those are in scripture. That's not an Enoch thing. Um, Michael Heiser also had a really good episode on his podcast about kind of that development of who Satan is and how to Mm -hmm. understand these different characters. So um, I don't know what episode it is, but go through his... There's 400. Go through his library podcast. There's one literally just, it's titled Something About Satan. And he's doing, I think it's an interview that he has with someone and they're talking about that development as Satan as like that character, which I like that kind of thing because when you do have language that's being used and characters and how, again, the roster is bigger than, you know, I initially thought I want to understand it. Not that I'm like, oh yeah, definitely. Like, they're all different. It's not mm-hmm. just one say, but I'm seeking to understand. Yeah. I guess is where I'm coming out with it. Um, Not to say that what we're presenting are saying, oh, yeah, go listen to them. That It's trying to be like, ah, turn away from your long-held belief. It's mm-hmm. like, it's okay. You can ask questions. You yes. Can, you can look at things. And if you walk away with, no, I really think that it still is legi- just... Like, at least you're holding that belief in the face of evidence that people are looking at. Yeah. That's my thing. It's like, I'm not trying to bring up, and we're not trying to bring up getting into first Enoch to, like, make anybody confused or anything. Mm-hmm. But even as we talked about last time, that this book was read by the first century authors of the New mm-hmm. Testament. They were familiar with the stuff. There's allusions and references and everything else. So to get in here and understand it a bit, it's like, it's it's okay. Yeah, we're we're not trying to challenge anything that's being taught.
0: It's right. more of a... These are other concepts and ideas that are out there. They're, they're good to listen to, but with everything and any one, take it with a grain of salt, bounce it off the Bible, and see where God leads you to it. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll journey more into the parables for the next ep- couple of episodes, and then we'll get into some more fun with Enoch and all that other stuff. So I
1: think it was worthwhile taking that time to really look at the Son of Man. and yeah. I, like, I like
0: that part of the conversation because it's good. Yeah, it, we need to do it, and then it's done. So I'm Chris. I'm Yildur. uh We are your church friends. Thanks for listening.